But something that we have to understand is James's main goal that we'll be talking about is to convert the converted. Sounds weird, right? James is trying to convert the converted. These are people who have confessed Jesus, but, not ha- but have chosen not to live like Jesus. And so that's who James is writing to. He's writing to the church, to people like me and you. And if you are here and you are not part of the church or you do not consider yourself a Christ follower, then what you can understand is what is the church actually supposed to look like? What is the church actually supposed to do? And you can learn as you follow along with us as James exhorts the church. So the title of the series is Friend, because as James is trying to convert the church, he makes this understanding He says you can be a friend of the world, the worldly systems, the worldly ways, or you can be a friend of God. And he shows what does it look like to be a friend of the world in your actual practices, your everyday life, and what does it look like to be a friend of God. So I'm going to read uh, today's scripture, which is James chapter 1, verses 2 to 8, and the title of today is called Perfect Faith, Perfect Faith. James chapter 1, verse 2. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I love James. He starts off this, I mean, he just... He goes for it. He starts off right away. There's no uh, mincing words. But his first statement that he makes in James, after he gets through with the niceties, hi, this is James. I'm writing to the church. Uh, Love Jesus and I serve him. Let's dive right in. And he starts with this crazy statement. It's the statement that I have found myself as being a Christian for many years, repeating to myself many years. And it is this statement. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. From the very first statement in James, he is making a distinction between how the church should think about life and how the world thinks about life. And I I love this because if you ever want to make an enemy of somebody... Find someone going through a rough time. Just find, you know, find someone going through a rough time. Maybe they have lost their job. Maybe they found out they're having health complications. Maybe they've had some family drama. Maybe you just had a bad week. It seems like a lot of people have just had a bad week this week. I've been talking to a few people and it just seems like that was going around. You know, maybe someone didn't get the promotion that they were gunning for. They didn't get into the school that they really wanted to get into. After you find this person, quote to them this scripture. Count it all a joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And you will find that you have made an enemy for yourself right then and there. Why? Why, why, why would that? Why would just quoting a simple scripture to somebody make an enemy of that person? It's because 
The world's source of joy is completely opposite than God's source of joy. And so because it's completely opposite, what the world finds joy in, what you tell the world to find joy in, you just sound like a crazy person to them. Why? Because anger is meant for suffering. Complaining is meant for suffering. Bitterness is meant for suffering. Not joy. Joy is not meant for suffering. And so when you find somebody that is suffering and you tell them, count this a joy in your life, what will happen? Their complaining, bitterness, and anger will now be redirected from their problem to you. (laughs) So in one way, you may be helping them. Why? Because the joy in this world is meant for gratification. It's meant when times of pleasure, power, or possession increases. If you are not increasing in your pleasure, if you are not increasing in your power, if you are not increasing in your possessions, then you are not increasing in joy. This is the way of the world. If the world were to start a letter and they were going to start off a letter to exhort their fellow people, they would start the letter like this. Count it all joy when you obtain all the various things you desire. That would be the world's opening letter. Count it all joy when you obtain all the various things you desire. But what James is saying here does not make sense in light of standing on its own. And I think maybe that's why it seems so crazy to us. Why would we call suffering joyful? This, this goes against human nature. It goes against the world system. It goes against our personal inclinations. Why would we do this? Why would, by this logic, we actually would desire to walk into trial? Why would we actually not mind when suffering comes our way? Why, James? Why? You, why are you so crazy? In verse 3, James gives us this answer. He says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. This is James's argument. The tests, the trials, the hard things of life, they work out something in your faith that is good for you. And that something is called endurance. You know, I remember the first time my faith was seriously tested. I was 17. I've shared this story before. I was in my room at the time was a basement. I've lived most of my life in various basements. (laughs) Heather's laughing because I forced her to live in one of those basements with me when we got married. And I remember thinking... I was reading this book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill... And during reading that book, Napoleon Hill talked about a lot of these concepts that made me start rethinking my Christianity. You know, up until this point, many teenagers, whether teenager or young adults, anybody between, I would say, like 14 and 25, usually if they grew up in the church, at some point will go through a crisis of faith. Do I actually believe in what I've been taught my entire life? I was having this crisis of faith in this moment. And I remember I started to think, well, I don't actually believe now that God exists. 
And I started to go down this path that eventually led me to atheism. And that night that I decided that I was going to be an atheist, I was sitting in my bed in the basement. I was, it was dark and I was alone. And I remember in that moment crying because everything that I would have believed and thought about my entire life would be wrong. But I also told myself, grow up. Sometimes that's just life. But then I started to think a little more deeply about this. This seems like a really difficult decision, but important decision. If I do not believe in God, or if I do believe in God, that should, by logic, change the trajectory of my life. How I act, how I live, how I talk, what my values are, what I live for, what kind of job I get, the kind of family I have, if I have a family. All these things are going to hang on the decision on whether I believe in God or not. And I believe after that moment was the first time I heard God's voice in my life distinctly and I obeyed it on my own. And as I opened myself up and I thought, okay, what am I going to do at this point in my life to make this decision? I felt the Holy Spirit lead me to go move to a different state, the backwaters of Columbus, Ohio. And while I was in Ohio and I had a thousand acres of farmland in my backyard and, you know, we had the living room and the den and then the second living room in my house, a concept that I never imagined before. That was the size of my entire home, these three living rooms that people had in their house. I remember coming to the understanding and realizing that God was real and that over the last six months that I had been experiencing a test and a trial of my faith that put me to a lot of times of being in tears, a lot of loneliness, a lot of times of being depressed, a lot of times of being anxious about my life and what was going to happen to me and where I was going to go. But what happened was, at the end of that, I began to follow Jesus. And the moment I decided to follow Jesus during my time away was a moment that completely changed my life because at that time, this test, this trial of my faith produced something in my life that made me begin to follow Jesus fully for the rest of my life until now. I pray that it's for the rest of my life. But this trial that started in tears, this trial that started in me being lonely, depressed, anxious, alone in my room in a basement, on a bed, thinking that God did not exist and my life was meaningless, led me to finally and completely giving my life to Christ. And that is what James is talking about. And the trials since then have been countless. They have been small trials, maybe things that seem insignificant, like someone just disrespected me and I want to show them to think better about ever doing that a second time. That is a trial of faith. There may be a large-scale trial, like believing Jesus is my provider after I lost my job and am broke. But what happens every time, what James is trying to get across, is every time I say yes, that you say yes to Jesus in hard times and do not give in to doubt, unbelief, complaining, bitterness, and anger, every time I begin to see his faithfulness. His faithfulness to love me, his faithfulness to care for me, his faithfulness to provide for me, his faithfulness to comfort me. And what happens is it builds my resilience in my faith. 
It builds my endurance. Oh, I got a bad doctor's report today. I've been through that. My life is in God's hands, not in my own and not in my doctor's. Oh, I lost my job today. I've been in hard times before. Jesus has provided for me. Oh, you, you screwed me over for the 10th time I'm going through this? Come on, don't act like you haven't been there. No worries. My worth is in Jesus. Not how macho I am to react towards you and prove myself. See, what happens is you begin to build a repertoire of God's goodness in your life, in hard times and in suffering. Your faith in Jesus during trials, literally, it says, is producing. That means your faith in Jesus in hard times is at work in your life. And it's creating something inside you. And that something is a longevity of faith that is not easily crushed. And so count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then James says in verse 4, And let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials will test your faith. Then those trials should be encountered with joy because they bring endurance. And then endurance of faith is something to have joy over because the end of that, what it produces, is something that is perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I'm not going to stop, Mike. Thank you. He knows, he, knows, he knows where I'm going with this. So before you start claiming lacking in nothing, meaning my unlimited vacations, a new promotion, and free Netflix for life, right? You hear, I'm going to lack in nothing. And that's what we start thinking. We start thinking with the world's system of lack, the world's system of perfect and complete And we think, I got that Hulu premium with no commercials kind of not lack. (laughs) That's the kind of not lacking in nothing I need in my life. Before we begin to name and proclaim the things that we want to be perfect and complete, I want us to read a story in the Gospels. There's a person that has been defined as the rich young ruler that comes to speak to Jesus. And we've talked about him before in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 23. We're going to read this story. It says, And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, and listen, Jesus said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 
See, here was a guy. He kept the law. Right? He, he did not commit adultery. He did not murder. He did not steal. He honored his father and mother. He's literally naming the Ten Commandments. And he is saying, I have kept the law. I have done what I have been told to do. He did everything that he needed, seemingly, to follow God properly. And then he asked Jesus, this is a dangerous question. If you've ever asked it before, you may not like the answer that you're going to get. He asked if there's anything else he needed to have eternal life. Jesus does what he always does, and he looks into the man's heart, and he responds. And he sees in this man's heart, this man puts riches before God. So to complete or perfect his faith, he needed to pass a test to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. This test should have come as a joy to this man. By James's logic, by what Jesus was offering, when I pass this test, I know that my faith in God is real. I will have eternal life when I get through this trial, when I get through this test. Instead, what happens in verse 23, it says, But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, this is what happens. Testing in our life and trials will either create in us joy to dive deeper in our faith and love for God, or it will reveal our idolatry. That is stopping our faith from becoming real or true in our life. Testing will do one of two things. It will either create deep joy to dive deeper in our faith and love for God, or it will reveal our idolatry. And what is actually stopping our faith from becoming true and real towards God. Many of us are like the rich young ruler. We have done what we think are the right things. That's what James is saying. He is speaking to the church. We have done what we think is right. We have followed the rules. We have said the right prayers. We have acted good. But we still have not turned our life over to God with full faith in him. So that our faith is perfect and complete. See, this rich young ruler was a friend of the world. His joy and peace came from his possessions and worldly goods. That's the world's system. That's the world's understanding of joy. I am happy based off how much I have. I am happy by how much I make. I am happy by how much power, how much influence I get. Whereas a friend of God's joy and peace comes from faith in Jesus. You may be thinking, dang, this is hard. If God tested me and took away, say, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, my stuff, the I can't live withouts, we all have them, we can think about them, I couldn't do it. I remember recently, this is just a few months ago, my faith was tested. It was tested 
in a profound way to me, and I'm going to share this story, and some of you may think that does not seem very profound, Justin, but don't worry. I will explain why it's profound. It just doesn't seem like that on the surface, and a lot of times the trials and the tests that we go through do not seem profound. We usually wait for the really hard stuff to say that's profound, but I want to show that in the everyday, in the unprofound things, God is speaking to us. I just started watching a show that everybody was talking about, right? Very profound. This is my test. (laughs) This show is five seasons long, right? It's one of those shows where every episode is an hour and it's like 12 episodes a season. So do the math. It's like 60 hours of television that was before me. For someone that, for the most part, enjoys TV, this was Glee. (laughs) That meant for the next month, month and a half of my life, I didn't have to worry about what I was going to watch on my downtime. I had something I was going to watch. But as I got into the show, I realized why everybody was talking about this show. It was really good. And a really good show that started to do stuff in my heart. I started to notice some things. That the show was not having a good effect on my mind. After I finished an episode, my mind would go to unhealthy places. I would start thinking about things that weren't good. I started watching the show in place of my prayer and devotional time. Oh, you know what? I just want to see what happens next. And then I finished the first season, about to start season two, and God clearly speaks to me. Stop watching this show. You know it's bad for you. And now I'm letting you know that I know that you know that it's bad for you. So stop watching this show. (laughs) Now let me tell you why this is so profound and so difficult for me. I hate, and I mean hate, not finishing anything. This has nothing to do with TV, folks. If I start washing the dishes, I hate not finishing all the dishes. This is why I don't start washing the dishes so often. (laughs) When it's reading a book, I hate not finishing reading the book. When it's finishing a TV series, I hate, I am the guy that will be 30 minutes into a movie and know this movie's gonna suck. But guess what? I'm committed to this movie right now. And I'm going to watch and hate my life at the end of 90 minutes after committing to this awful movie. That's why, like, I, if I know, man, I try to get, I do all the reviews and critics, and sometimes it's bad, because then I watch nothing, but I know that I'm pot committed, that's the term. You ever play poker, you know, I'm pot committed. I am going to finish this. It's not good. I have to finish what I start. Another layer of this, I used to be addicted to TV. I had to give up TV for almost 18 months to be free of the addiction. But currently, I was binging on my addiction, on something that made me very happy. It is easy, right, to say, man, TV is not a bad thing. This is the logic. The excuses, you know, it's, it's like money is not a bad thing. TV is not a bad thing. But what I was doing with it in my heart made it a bad thing. What I was putting it in place of, in place of Jesus in my life, made it an idle thing. Made it a bad thing. 
So after some prayer and asking God, God, give me strength to say no to this, to take me out of this addiction, and it's funny, but it's sad because it's true. Right, this thing that I did not want to stop, that I was compulsorily wanting to finish. After another two episodes, some of you caught that. (laughs) Right, you just think, oh, I'm done. You know, God told me to stop. Yo, we are stubborn sometimes. (laughs) I guiltily, convictedly watched through another two hours of that show. Praying, God, I'm not going to stop watching this thing. (laughs) Feeling convicted as all convicted can be, I stopped watching the show. Finally, I put it away. It's like, okay, getting rid of this from my watch list, can't see it anymore, removing it. So I'm not just tempted every time I open my screen, buy it. And what's funny is, as soon as I stopped watching it and this all of a sudden, I had free time, you know, to start doing things again. <laughs> or experienced that. I picked up a book to begin to read. And that book is what this entire sermon series came from. That I did not know that God wanted me to begin prepping for where he wanted to move me and the church next to. Next. But I was going to miss that. If I said no to a seemingly unharmful, simple thing in my life. You know, side note, when people ask me, how do you, you know, how do you come up with a series or how do you know your call in life or your purpose? My, my answer is always the same thing. Follow Jesus. It could be as simple as no longer watching a show that leads you to the next place God wants to take you. Or breaking up from an unhealthy relationship. Or turning down a new opportunity that God is saying no to. James actually knows that many of us do not have the strength. When the trial comes. To look at it as a joyful thing. That it's going to produce endurance for a perfect and complete faith in our life. The the strength to say no to this thing. And so he ends this thought with an exhortation to the church. In verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I've heard wisdom described this way. Not just having the knowledge of what is right, but actually doing what is right. If there are things in our life that in testing would cause us to disobey and to doubt God and reveal lack in us, just like Jesus revealed the lack in that rich young ruler. Then here's James' response. Let us pray. And let us pray a prayer in faith. Pray to a God who gives generously to his people. That when we're talking about lacking 
and not being perfect and complete. On the other hand of that, we can pray to a God who gives generously to his children who lack to make them perfect and complete. A God who does not have limited or finite resources that all of his children are competing for, but has unlimited, more than enough, overflowing resources that he gives to his children generously. Let us pray. Lord, that we would know not only the right thing to do, but that we would walk in it. Give us wisdom. Godly wisdom. God, that we would pray the prayer of faith with no doubting that when we come to you, God, that we would know you are the rescuer. You are the wisdom giver. You are the generous God. You are the resurrected one. You are the sin killer. You are my father. That you give to those who ask. And so James says, when you ask, do not doubt. Because if you doubt, then you are double-minded like a wave that is tossed to and fro by the wind. Unstable in all your ways. So when we go to God... Let us pray the prayer of faith, knowing, believing, understanding that he is a God that gives generously the wisdom that is needed to look at our trial, to look at our situation, to look at our suffering, to look at our hardship and say, it does not make sense to have joy right now in the midst of what I'm feeling, in the midst of what I'm sensing, in the midst of the situation around me, but... I pray to a God who gives wisdom and he gives wisdom generously. And I come to you, God, right now in the name of Jesus, knowing that you answer your children's prayers. And I come to you with no doubt in my mind and in my heart saying, God, give me wisdom. God, help me to know, not only know the right thing to do, but help me to do the right thing that I need to do. Father, help me to work out my faith with fear and trembling that it would become perfect and complete, that it would lack nothing, that we would be a people that have a repertoire of what God has done. As a community that we would remember, you know what? I remember when God came through in this situation. I remember when we were experiencing this and God came when I didn't want to make this decision. I thought this person or this thing was my life. And if I didn't have it with me anymore, that I would be ultimately destroyed, broken and and cast down. But even though I felt all those things, when I gave it up, God was faithful. He was faithful to care for me. He was faithful to restore me. He was faithful to give me hope. He was faithful to love me. He was faithful to comfort me. He was faithful to bring his peace upon me. He is faithful. And his faithfulness creates endurance in my faithfulness towards him. And that's what James is saying right now. 
that you may be going through a trial. You may be going through some pain in your life. There may be things that have tormented you when you thought, man, I have to not do that or I have to give that up or this may be taken away. It may be something in our life that looks good but is bad for us. But James is saying, when those things happen in the godly system, count it all a joy when you face these trials of various kinds. Because when you do, it will produce, it will be at work in your life to create in you endurance. And that endurance will mean a perfect and complete faith. Why don't you stand and pray? Father, I pray that the next time a trial comes, that we would rejoice. Father, that we would rejoice. God, I know there are people in here right now that are experiencing trial, pain, suffering, tribulation, God. And I pray that your joy, your Holy Spirit, God-given joy would enter into the room and into our hearts right now. That we would know you are producing something inside of us that will be everlasting, that will lead us to eternal life. That we would not walk away from this moment sad like the rich young ruler did, but we would come alive with joy knowing, God, that you are working out the lack in our heart. And you are producing endurance that leads us to eternal life with you. Lord, and what could bring more joy than knowing that we are walking towards eternal life with you? Change our attitude. Give us wisdom. And let us pray with faith. Knowing that you are a God who gives generously to your people. who gives generously to your people. To our God that gives generously to your people. Church, God is not a God of lack. He is not a God scrounging for resources, wondering how he's going to fill you up and fill me up and the person next to you and the person. He is the God of more than enough. That he will fill you up to a point of overflowing. But what we can do today then is we can pray the prayer of faith. That when Jesus says we do not have because we do not ask, let that not be said of us. That we would ask this morning and that we would ask in faith, God fill us with your wisdom. That the next trial that comes our way, that we would not be bitter, that we would not be angry, that we would not complain, but God, that we would count it a joy to build endurance of faith that is perfect and complete.